0: Indigenous communities, which is, you know, the Wayu community, um, we, it doesn't matter how many cultures have disappeared, Mm. how many wars have passed, Indigenous communities have always managed to remain. And that is because for generations we have been taught always you only take what you need, you share and you put it back in the land.
1: Hello friends and damn givers, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast, a show about extraordinary people who aim to lead the planet much better than they found it. Now, all of my guests are very different from each other, but they do all have this in common. They give a damn. Lots and lots of dams. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and I'm incredibly glad you're here. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've released a podcast episode. A couple of weeks in between episodes has sort of become the norm, and I want to be very clear. I hate that. I loathe it. Things have just been really busy, and on top of all that, I got COVID 11 days ago and spent eight days in quarantine, just got out a few days ago, but I do hope to be back on track with weekly episodes very, very soon. For one, many of you have been asking for that and two i have so many incredible conversations that i've already recorded that i've already scheduled people that want to be on the show and i want them on the show and we can't accomplish all of that work and tell all of those stories unless we do one or more episodes a week so we'll be back on track very very soon and i have uh, some cool things in the works for the podcast and let's give a damn as a whole that i can't wait to talk to you about All that to say, thank you for your patience as I try to make all of this work. Good news, today you're getting two for one. I met these two fantastic badass women, Sofia Chiani and Patricia Velasquez, at Clinton Global Initiative a couple of weeks ago. And as you all know, I've been going to Clinton Global Initiative meetings for several years now. It is one of the more compelling meetings slash conferences that I get to go to mostly because the whole premise of CGI are these hundreds of commitments that are made every single year. And as we dream of a better world, we all need to make commitments and have good people around us that will hold us accountable, hold us to our commitments, and will help us achieve what we've committed to do. President Bill Clinton, Secretary Hillary Clinton, and the Queen herself, Chelsea Clinton, put on such a great event each and every year, this year included, And I'm so honored to be part of it. Anyway, back to my guests that I met at this incredible event. Sophia Kiani is an Iranian-American social entrepreneur and activist and is the founder and executive director of Climate Cardinals, the world's largest youth-led climate nonprofit with 10,000 volunteers in 80 different countries. She also holds a pretty remarkable title, the youngest UN advisor in history, Sophia has massive social media influence and her work has been featured in news outlets like the New York Times, CNN, Vogue, Business Insider, BBC, NPR, The Guardian, NBC, The Washington Post, and many others. Sophia has spoken at Harvard, Stanford, Columbia, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, Princeton, Maybe you've heard of some of these universities and she won the Ted global idea competition and a lot of ands in here. Her debut Ted talk has more than 2 million views. I could continue honestly with other accolades and other titles and other things that she has accomplished, even in her younger years, many remarkable accomplishments, a truly stunning human. And speaking of stunning humans... My second guest on this episode is Patricia Velazquez. She is an award-winning actress, model, philanthropist, and activist. She was born to damn-giving parents, both who work for UNESCO, so it's no wonder, really, that she turned into this incredible woman that helps so many people. Now, you may know Patricia from her roles in films and TV projects like The Mummy, The Mummy Returns. Ugly Betty, CSI Miami, The L Word, or my personal favorite, as Marta in Arrested Development. What a great character. What a great show. Or you may know her from her Vogue or Bizarre covers. Or you may know her from the incredible work she has done through her Waiutaya foundation over the past 20 years or so. This foundation, which we talk about in our conversation, obviously, was created with the objective of improving the living quality of the indigenous communities in Latin America, maintaining and respecting their traditions, cultures, and beliefs. And they've partnered a lot over the past few years with my friend and past podcast guest, Ann Lee, and Sean Penn over at CORE to help tens of thousands of people in need. To learn more about Sophia and her work, visit sofiakiani.com and climatecardinals.org. To learn more about Patricia, just Google her name. And to learn more about the foundation, visit wayutaya.org. That's W-A-Y-U-U-T-A-Y-A.org. Just a heads up that these are shorter conversations than normal. I hope to have longer conversations with these two amazing humans at some point, but everything is so fast-paced at CGI that we could only grab 20 to 30 minutes tops. Before we begin, a quick reminder as always that you can email me anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com to ask questions, recommend future guests, tell me how much you love or hate the show, anything goes, I just love hearing from you. And now let's get right into my conversations with these extraordinary women, Sofia Chiani and Patricia Velasquez. Let's go. Sophia, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: I uh, have been following what you've been doing for years, and I'm so grateful for you. So grateful for, as a young person, the way that you have used your voice and your younger years, not to say you don't have fun, but a lot of people at your age are doing a lot more of the fun stuff Mm -hmm. and less of the let's unfuck our planet stuff, Yeah. right? And so I'm, I've been following your stuff for years. So grateful. Um, my first question is, how are you? Not the normal, like, I'm doing great. How are you? But like body, mind, and soul. Like, there's a lot going on right now. A lot of climate. There's a lot A lot of the stuff that's happened over the past few months. Hurricanes, uh, flooding all over the world right now. Libya, thousands of people swept out into the sea. These are all climate-related events. This is the world that you live in and talk about and think about constantly. So... All of you. Like how, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I think I'm doing honestly much better now than I was maybe at like other points during the year. Uh, I'm definitely a a workaholic. I love the work that I do, but it can be really easy for it to become all consuming for me. And I, I I think that at times I definitely have really not neglected my personal health, and I think I've done a better job this summer. Of like, I went home for a week because I had like so many health issues, and I my mom took me like a million doctor's appointments. I got some pills and fixed some deficiencies and stuff, um, and I'm I'm feeling much better. But being like really mindful and having had that experience, now I'm really really prioritizing like ensuring I set really good boundaries professionally and personally, um, especially like last climate week. Oh my God. Like I literally took a 4am train to DC, did a panel at, with the Washington post. And then I went right around and took a, pa- a train back to New York and then did like another speech. And I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> um, it was way too much. And so now I'm really slowing down and prioritizing, m- ensuring like I, I, I'm I'm only doing things that are as important as possible and also ensuring like I don't drop the ball. I still have work calls and meetings throughout the week too and carving space for that has been really important.
1: Glad to hear that. I mean, the climate work, I I, I think mostly about, and I too am involved in climate stuff, my family and I, like that's what we care about the most as I think everybody should. But like climate, all my climate people, I care about them the most. I think about them a lot because there's... Not to say that people that work on gun reform or income inequality, like there's so many things to think about and those things, are, those are always pressing, but the climate stuff can't be ignored yeah. more than the other ones, mm-hmm. right? Like God forbid, you know, today another big school shooting happens. Well, it's been, you know, unfortunately in the world we live in, well, it's been a few weeks since the last one, but like the climate shit is so pressing. all the time yeah. and pressing and it's the... Most important issue that we could be working on because if we conquer, let's just say we fix income inequality, we fix guns, we fix uh, hunger, we fix thirst, we fix all this stuff, but we don't attack the climate issue, then we have no planet to live on in 50, Mm -hmm. 75 years. And like our kids don't, yeah, they don't have anywhere to live. Mm -hmm. So it's truly the most important thing. So I'm always happy to hear that people in the climate space are taking care of themselves. It's really, really important.
2: Totally I agree. You can't take care of the planet if you're not taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, 100%. So you're here uh, you it you gave, you're part of a panel or did you give a talk here at CGI?
2: Uh, so it was part of the uh, storytelling storytelling.
1: About. yeah. And what was the what was the conversation, the talk that you all were having there?
2: Yeah, so I gave a talk about um, the intersection of language and climate. So it was like a a panel oriented around language and culture. And so I talked about the work that Climate Cardinals is doing and how it's all rooted in in my personal story as in Iranian um, and what Farsi really meant to me.
1: Who are the people, places and things that shaped you into who you are today?
2: Yeah. So I was born in DC, but I grew up visiting Iran. Both of my parents are from there and my entire extended family is there except for my my uh, aunts on my dad's side and my uncle but that was really great because I felt like in the US I had like an Iranian community at home and then over the summers I would visit my grandmother's house and it was incredibly transformational I grew up surrounded by the rich Iranian heritage um, and grew such a deep appreciation for the food <laughs> uh, and and the people yeah. and the traditions um, and it has really influenced my my worldview and the way that I, I care about issues like climate.
1: When was the last time you were back there?
2: Middle school. Yeah, it's, it's been, been a, a long a while. time. Yeah.
1: What 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 should people know? M- most your average American, if you bring up Iran, um, they think of a whole lot of things mm-hmm. and not that it's this amazing, beautiful country. The people are amazing. This and that. What do you want? What What do you remember most? Like, what are your fondest memories about Iran? That you would love the average American that doesn't travel a lot, definitely doesn't travel in the Middle East. What would you want them to know about Iran?
2: The, The biggest thing that really struck me was that my relatives were, by all accounts, not very financially well off. They were pretty poor, really struggling with rapid inflation. And despite that, I can't remember a single day that they wouldn't offer me anything that I as a little girl would have wanted. Like our plates were always overflowing with the most incredible foods and they always would get us beautiful gifts. And at the time, I I didn't realize like how big of a financial strain it was on them and how hard they were working to be able to provide those things for me and my sister because they were such simple things in the United States uh, that we really took for granted. Um, and so the, the Iranian art of tarof, like it's an etiquette where you basically always ensure that you take care of the other person first. You always offer to pay for the check. You always offer to open your home to others. That is the practice that my relatives have always really shown. And it's something that I also am am trying to learn to always be that person who is the bigger person and and tries to take care of those around them.
1: That's really beautiful. And I, um, I'm a well-traveled person. I've lived outside the U.S. for 10, 12 years and visited 30, 40 countries. And I found that um, there are lots of things we could praise this country for. Mm -hmm. Lots. Um, But one thing is that there is—that doesn't exist here as much from what I've experienced. This, like, this lavish— it does exist in certain pockets, but it's not part of, it's not the culture. Mm-hmm. Growing up in Guatemala, it was the same thing. I just got back from Eastern Europe, from uh, Tbilisi, Georgia, spoke at an event out there. Same thing. I mean, every meal was a fucking like-
2: Buffet. It, it, yeah. And it's a, yeah. it's a
1: very poor country. Yeah. And yet every meal was just super lavish. And I would love for, it's one of the reasons actually we moved, uh, we've moved all over the place, but we moved to New York City.
2: Yeah.
1: One was to raise our kids here, but two was like, we wanted to uh, uh, help this amazing city
2: mm-hmm.
1: become more hospitable. New York is amazing for yeah. a thousand. It's my favorite city in the world. And everybody's got their own thing going on. And I get it. It's really hard to live here. Like everybody's got their own thing. You're not, uh, you're not waiting around for other people. You've got places to go. And there isn't that like sense of like hospitality. Mm-hmm. And I love being in places. I love being in those sorts of places. We try to provide that in our home. We've always had like an open door policy. Yeah. We even have like, we know what snacks our friends like that come over often. And we like oh God, always have that. them. Yeah. Because it means the world when of even course. if you know that there's really not technically enough to go around, there will be enough. It's almost like. Jesus multiplying the fishes and (laughs) loaves like it just it's gonna it's gonna happen like even if you don't have enough it'll be there I love that you grew up around that so obviously your life is about talking about the climate moving people toward action on the climate do you remember when that started becoming a thing for you and was it like a was there a big thing that happened like a big moment a big event a big uh Thing that you realized or was it sort of a gradual thing? When did that happen for you?
2: Well, kind of going back to family and roots, my parents always talked about the importance of caring for the planet. Like from such a young age, my dad is literally like the most annoying person about if you leave the lights on in the house, like he will go nuts. And my mom always, when we would have... um milk containers or yogurt containers. She would always use them for like composting and we would plant like little, uh, like our our leftover uh, like apple seeds and stuff like we would put in there. Uh, It wasn't apple seeds. I want to say it was apricot. Um, okay. Yeah, whatever yeah. those are. <laughs> um, and so I always- but very resourceful. Yeah, we were very resourceful. Like, you know, it was very much a culture of never waste things, like take care of the planet. The planet take, takes care of you. Um, and it really was growing up and, and visiting Iran and just seeing the difference between the environmental conditions there versus in the U.S. and how much worse the air pollution was that- kind of invigorated me to like, want to, to make a difference. And I would say really around the, the climate movement burgeoning in the U.S. Um, with like, Greta and the climate strikes, that's when like, this passion that I had always had really started to like, bloom and blossom.
1: Sometimes I think about Greta and how we, won't, we don't yet fully realize the impact that she has had so many of the young people that are now young Gen Z climate activists, like so many of them point back to Greta yeah. sitting out there all alone and then two or three, but like just doing it week after week for mm-hmm. hundreds of weeks. Um, yeah. Like in the, it seems like that's the same for you that like Greta, maybe I'm not saying Greta was the only inspiration, but like that was, I mean what Greta was doing in her little town, like it changed the world.
2: It did. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, all the incredible young people who worked to organize the 2019 strikes and in high school, I spent a lot of time with like Fridays for Future and Zero Hour and various different grassroots climate movements. They all really inspired me and are the reason why I like felt the courage to start Climate Cardinals because they had already really started like blazing the path.
1: Amazing. So tell us about Climate Cardinals. I know about it, but I hope that people that are listening that don't know get involved if they can.
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, so Climate Cardinals is a nonprofit I started when I was a senior in high school. And our mission is to educate the world about climate change by doing climate translations primarily. So we now have over 10,000 young volunteers in over 80 countries. Uh, and we've translated uh, over a million and a half words of climate resources into over 100 languages. And we do that for everyone from UNICEF, the UNAP to Yale Center for Climate Communications.
1: So how does that First of all, that's incredible because that is a, I would guess that most people that just listened to you say that have never thought about the fact that most of the resources that are available, most of the stuff we know about the climate, it's available in just a few languages and in mostly English.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. The stat that I, I said today is 75% of the world doesn't speak English, but 80% of scientific literature is only available in English. And then the UN's IPCC report is only available, which is like the Bible of climate, um, is only officially available in the six UN languages that account for less than half of the world's speaking population. And the reason I really think it's an issue is that people like my relatives are the ones who are being worst impacted by climate change. It's disproportionately impacting the Middle East. Temperatures there are rising more than twice the global average. And so for them to not have the resources and the science to be able to properly advocate on behalf of themselves is the scary part for me.
1: That's really tragic. Because you're so right that, yes, climate shit is like hitting here as well. But we actually have resources, money. We have a government that, like, when shit happens, like, they spring into action and people show up and things get rebuilt a lot quicker, right? In a lot of these countries, I've, I have I have two of my friends, uh, Nora Tagori and her husband Adam. She's Libyan. He's Moroccan. Within. Three days of each other. Morocco got hit by an earthquake and wow. that whole city of, I think it's Durka. I think it's what mm-hmm. it's called. Derna, Derna. Like, I swept out to sea. Like, and these are two countries that I would guess are not in the six official languages of the UN. And mm-hmm. so, like, the Libyans who are not, they're not fucking up the planet with mm-hmm. their, right? They're not the ones that are, like, China and the U.S. mostly are, right? And yet they're reaping the consequences of it. They have they have no idea what's happening because we don't have these resources in their language. like what's, So what's the plan? Like at what pace are you all moving? And are there other organizations doing the same thing? Or are you kind of an anomaly doing this alone as an organization?
2: Uh, I would say we're the primary congregator uh, of this type of work. And it's been really exciting to try and... And expand our work, and we're really like fundraising for the first time, and starting to formalize because I've just been doing this like in my free time between college classes, uh, and I really want it to become like a professional organization with like leadership that is paid and is full time yes. that isn't me. Yeah. Um. And so that's been something that's really exciting is to navigate that process and to understand how can we ensure that this critical work continues forever.
1: That's amazing. Well, I will support all I can bringing as much attention because I also what you just said made me super sad that like, I'm happy that you in high school figured this out and said, this is a thing we need. And now it's sort of growing, but that we got to this point point, yeah. and no one was saying, Hey, what about the other fucking 190 countries in the world that don't, that can't read climate resources? Yeah. Like that's insane to me that I, that all these people, all these old people, they didn't think of that. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of wild. So Kudos to you. More than kudos to you. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had sort of a meteoric rise to fame, as it were. It's a, you know, internet influencer fame. But like, yeah, you're like really young. And now you're, you know, you're advising the UN. You are, I mean, I could, I, we could spend the rest of the time me listing off all of the awards, <laughs> and re- but, but I won't. Yeah. People go look them up. You've, yeah, you've, you've, you've been noticed by kind of the biggest and the best out there. And that's happening more and more in this like age of social media, like younger people are able to sort of use the resources that everyone else has, but they can use them in unique ways. Sure. Some of it's probably luck and getting noticed here. I don't know, but like, this is a unique, uh, what's happening to you. This sort of rise in this like level of influence that you have is unique to this time period. I think where you, you, Mm -hmm. you've been able to harness social media and use it really well and get people motivated and activated. How do you, Stay, like, chill and humble about it all, and to make sure that you stay focused on like what's really important. Because I'm sure it, it's very easy to like just enjoy mm-hmm. the the rise to recognition and enjoy what that brings along with it. But the 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 situation is dire. So mm-hmm. like, how do you balance all of the dynamics at play in your life as you've sort of risen to uh, public life?
2: I think it's a great question, especially when I was a lot younger, a lot of these like sparkly accolades and things that have happened to me were things like I always used to dream about. And then once they happened to me and once I got them, I was like, I don't really understand the point. Like I don't, I don't really get it. Um, Because I mean, as I, I mean, obviously I'm still 21. I'm still going to learn and grow and make mistakes. But the biggest thing over the last few years for me has realized, has been realizing like so much of the stuff that is happening is really just noise and the moment that you get caught up in the noise and you lose your sense of purpose, you just stop producing impact. And so I always want to spend way more time working and just being on my computer, grinding out, taking calls, doing my meetings, than a nice sparkly speaking engagement here and there. It's so important to get the word out. It's important to do media. It's important to take platforms and stages and speak for For me tens of thousands of volunteers. But at the same time, most of the work is done with me at like 1am being in a manic phase and having probably too much caffeine and being like really inspired and going and like writing a partnership pitch and putting something together. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, something happened. And like, we have a really big announcement. I'm excited to, that's coming for Climate Cardinals that was literally just me and my best friend and like partner in crime, Hikaru, who's like my right-hand man, at like Climate Cardinals, like working for months and months, like grinding, writing proposals, like getting feedback from people. Um And so I always want to make sure like if I'm going and speaking about things, I want to be speaking about new things. Like, I don't want to be defined by what I did yesterday. Like I want to be defined by what I did today. And so ensuring that this doesn't just become a like giving young people a platform to talk about nice, pretty, sparkly things. But uh, we're giving young people a platform and they're every single time talking about the new initiatives that they're involved in, the new campaigns that they're working on. Um, and I honestly have just become much more introverted <laughs> the last few years. Like I, I, I think that... It, it, it to your point, like if you do start to do too much, like it becomes really easy to get caught up in things. And it's been really important for me to be much more mindful now of like only taking up space where I feel my perspective is really important and then letting other organizers and activists do the work that is best suited for them and their skill sets. And also, like, I always get, like, speaking engagement opportunities, etc. And now a lot of what I've been doing is, like, passing them off to my climate directors. Like, if this was virtual, I honestly probably would have given it to one of my other directors to do in my place because I've had a lot of opportunity to talk about my story and I will continue to talk about my story, but I want other people to share their stories, too.
1: Okay, so where did all—all of that was incredible and that was, like, a little little mini masterclass in— you know, being a healthy activist. But where did that come from? Because again, I'm not trying to put a blanket statement over young yeah. people, but like that's not typical 21-year-old behavior. So is it is it because you saw the need and you had to grow up a little faster than maybe some of your other peers? Or do I just not know what 21-year-olds are doing now? Because when I was 21, I mean, I didn't fuck around either. Like I was a pretty like driven person. Mm-hmm. I was traveling the world doing all sorts of like stuff at that point but that was unique. People like called me out. They were like, why aren't you having fun? Why aren't you chilling? This is like the time to do that. So even just like you thinking the way that you're doing up until even the last thing you said, like I've, I've had so many opportunities. Now I can pass these along to the other people I'm working with. Where do you, do you know where that came from? Like, is that a a family thing? Is that you just like picking yourself up by your bootstraps and like figuring it out?
2: Um, I think it's a mix of a lot of different things. I would definitely say when we, first, I mean, I respect and admire most of my peers. I'm inspired by all my friends, especially the people I go to Stanford with, and they're all doing great things. But I, I definitely think a lot of this work like makes you grow up really fast. Like I look at old like videos of myself or old things I used to do, and I'm like a very different person now. So I do think that. To a certain extent, I've become much more mature really fast because the, the weight of this work is pretty heavy. Um, And also, I mean, like, it's really strange now having a platform and knowing that, like, this funny, silly selfies I used to share of my friends are being seen by tens of thousands and sometimes, like, millions of people. Yeah. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah. Um, And so I, I think part of that has also required me to get better at like separating the real world, which is like my friends and close family from all of the stuff that's beyond that, which is like the digital world and really ensuring like I remain like really rooted and, and stable in what is like my community.
1: That's really great. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. This has been incredible. Um, anything we can do as let's give it and to support what you're doing. Cause I, I again, I, I, just, I was just consulting with a group like an hour ago before this that is putting on an event and I brought you up. I brought other Gen Zers up because I, I was looking at the speaker list and day two of this event was about organizing. First one was like self-care and like taking care of yourself, organizing and then like moving, getting going. And on the organizing day, I'm like, every speaker you have, they're amazing. They're wonderful mm-hmm. people, but they're all older. Yeah. I was like, we need to give. Credit where credit is due. And right now, the people that have figured out how to organize the best are all young people. Yeah. They've figured out how to get social media going, how to get people moving. And organizing really is the missing component. Lack of vision or vision. It's all there. Everybody's the the vision is there to like change the world. But we're failing in the organizing space. And Gen Z has really figured that out. Totally. So I thank you for your part in sort of building that world. So um, where can people go to find out more about Climate Cardinals and what you're doing?
2: Totally. Well, I'm at Sophia Chiani on all social medias, at Climate Cardinals on most social medias as well. And go to climatecardinals.org, donate and support us if you're able to or sign up to volunteer.
1: Amazing. Sophia. thank you so much. This was great. Thank you. Patricia Velasquez, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Such a joy to have you here for multiple reasons. Uh, and I thought about doing this interview in Spanish. I grew up in Guatemala, but we won't for the sake of the listeners. But I would love to have a conversation in Spanish with you uh, at some point. Uh, that is your native language, Anytime. correct? Yes. yes. Let's 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 uh-huh. do that at some point because I miss. I, do you speak? What percentage do you put on the amount of English and Spanish that you speak? Do you speak more Spanish than English on a daily basis um, or depends on the day? It
0: depends on the day. It depends where I where I am. You know, if I, I definitely speak a lot of Spanish during the day because I'm communicating with our Wayutaya Foundation team or when I speak to my family. But most of the time, when I speak to my daughter, I do it in Spanish. Uh, but most of the time it's English or, or French or Italian, whatever whatever part of the world I'm in.
1: yes. So have I made a mistake by not teaching my kids Spanish? I think there's still hope, and they ask me to. And my excuse up until now has been, I'm traveling a lot. I've always, most of my work since they've been born has me traveling quite a bit. and But that's an excuse, right? I feel like when I look at myself in the mirror, I'm like, that's an excuse. Like, you could teach them Spanish. Because it's such a valuable thing to have, right?
0: Yeah, but are you first generation or second generation? So my
1: dad is Guatemalan. Yes. And then... He came to the states when he was a kid, but then we moved. We moved there when I was a kid, so I lived there for ten years. Oh wow! From ten to twenty, very like the important yeah. years, right? The big right. years, and so yes, uh, still feels a lot like home. But I wasn't born there.
0: Yeah, I I, I wouldn't. I don't think it's good to say it's a mistake or not a mistake. I, I think just the fact that you're thinking about it is good and and certainly having another language is is great for our children. But I would say, um, because you speak Spanish, because you live there, and I can see that you have no accent at all uh, in, in when you speak Spanish, uh, I could I know that they have it in their DNA. So all it takes is for them to start going and I think it will take very little, very little time for them to be able to speak.
1: That's great advice that it won't be as hard as some like, you know, white kid from the burbs that wants to learn Spanish. You're you're right that I I do speak it enough and reference it enough that I agree with you that if they started taking like if they started taking it seriously, that it would come a lot more naturally. For sure. So I will take that under consideration. Um how are you? Like Go, let's go beyond the pleasantries because there's a lot going on right now. And I always want to like, begin these conversations by like, trying to connect a little bit because, yeah, things are hard. There's a lot going on. This is a lot, what we're a part of right now, CGI. Yes. Like, how do, how, how do we find you in body, soul, and spirit right now? How are you?
0: Thank you for asking that question. Um, it's true. I, I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful and um, also overwhelmed. Sometimes I feel really scared for the work we do, uh, that it might get taken away. Mm. But then I feel really peaceful because I am surrounded by incredible community, like Core, with Anne Lee and all the team. Or And also, I also feel that we can't live in fear. And, and every time it, you feel that it overcomes or it, it, you start feeling that sensation, you have to know that... You have to see how much work you have done already. And even if it gets taken away, it doesn't matter. You still have done a great amount of work. And that brings me a lot of peace. And also one of the things that I, I like to do, in, and I think is after this question that you just asked that is so relevant, um, I try to, every time I go to a space where I feel overwhelmed or maybe I'm not where I want to be, or I always go to tell me three things you're thankful for. And it immediately brings me peace. So you're listening now. If you do this exercise, every morning when you wake up, just think of three things you're grateful for. And every time you go to bed, just think quickly on three things you're thankful for. I'm telling you, it will set you up in a very different way for the rest of the day and for the rest of your life.
1: Gratitude is incredibly important. And I know that sounds cliche-ish today because everybody (laughs) is saying that, but it is so true. It is. The more we count our blessings... The more we you know express gratitude out loud in our heads, in our hearts, to ourselves in the mirror, to a deity, whatever it is, it's also reminding us that like we don't need more mm-hmm. like sure, make more money if you can, to provide for your family to do things, but like it makes you not want things. I have found that the most grateful people are those I'm not saying you have to if you're grateful, you're poor that's not yeah. what I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. but I am saying that you don't crave. These things right. that other people that aren't that don't walk around in a state of gratitude right. do. They they're constantly craving more. And that comes from a lack of gratitude. That they want, they're always like, Oh, I don't have enough, I don't have enough, I don't right. have enough. But if you're grateful for whatever it is, your 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 the little food you have or the home or the job or whatever, and again, I'm not saying don't strive for more. Yes. But in that, like be grateful and you're yeah, you're contented. This level will be like way higher.
0: Yeah, I, th- you know, I, I I think of the work of the foundation of our foundation, and I, I feel that we do in our goals have to be relentless, and we have yes. to go for them, right? Because we have, a, and that's what keeps us motivated. But. When you receive a donation, for example, and someone can give you $10, and then somebody comes around and gives you $100,000, yes, you can probably have a lot more reach with $100,000, but I always feel of what did the person that gave me the $10 had to do in Mm. order to give me those $10? It probably was a big effort. So. To understand the, the gratitude and giving the same level of gratitude, thinking what is the effort that someone is putting into giving this to us, uh, that, that that gives me also understand, the understanding that what I'm going to do with those $10 is as equally as important yes. as what I'm going to do yes. with the 100000 And that gives me peace.
1: I love that. Well, thank you for sharing how you're doing. I'm glad that mostly it's, you know, hopeful ingratitude and a little bit of scared because these are very... Human. These are very... Um, it's not that... It's not that... This is what I believe. It's not that things are actually worse than many other times in history. Mm-hmm. It's that we know too much. Yeah. Right? Like think about 100 years ago, this some really crazy shit that was right. happening. Yeah, right?
0: we're bombarded. And now
1: we have every... I mean, at the tip of our fingers... We, we can find anti-Semitism and racist mm-hmm. comments and racist content and like homophobic, like you don't have to go far to find it where before you didn't know that it was like you, maybe your radio and where you could hear in the news once a day or whatever, you couldn't get scared because you didn't know what was going on out there. Now it's so easy to get scared. And so um, these are hard times and I'm glad that you're finding hope um, in those times. Before we get into talking about the foundation, which I'm so excited to do. Um, tell me about the session you just did here at CGI. You were part of the the storytelling. Uh, they have a storytelling segment yes. on both the days. And you were part of it. So what, what, what did you talk about and how
0: was that session? It was wonderful. It was about repaving the roads. Um, and we talked a lot about you know, where the YUTF Foundation started to now how far we have been able to reach over a million people in aid in Venezuela uh, together with the help of the CGI community and organizations like CORE or Acceso and Direct Relief and Center for Disaster and Philanthropy uh, and, and, it's, and how we can um, start on building and repaving this road and not, not have to start something new. Mm. Um, it was a really wonderful... wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I hope that it resonated on everybody that was watching it.
1: I'm sure. I'm Uh sure it did. Um, So 21 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Is my date correct? 21 years ago, you start this foundation, 30 kids in a preschool. So much has happened since then. Um, Tell me about like why, again, take me back, take us back to that moment 21 years ago. You were obviously presented with Yes. problems, ideas. You had, a, you had a situation in front of you and you could have stuck to, well, I'm just so busy acting and doing all the stuff in my career, whatever, family, friends. We, there's so many excuses. Mm-hmm. We can always think of reasons not to act and you chose to act. So why was this so near and dear to your heart that you started this and are still continuing it to this day?
0: I find that, you know, a lot of the actions that we take, they usually have something to do with our personal stories and our personal experiences. 21 years ago, um, my, uh, so my mom comes from an indigenous community called Wayu, and there are about half a million people that live in the border between Venezuela and Colombia. And uh, my mom comes from this area. It's a matriarchal community. And during that time, one kid was dying a day through UNICEF. Mm. You know, this was in 2002. Uh, my mom actually was able to go to school. She comes from this area. And she was able to go to school because my uncle, Tionerio... Um, worked in telegraphy and sent her away so she could become a teacher. And in order to become a teacher, she will have to teach someone to write and read. And she taught my grandmother. Um, many years later, this is 21 years ago, I get a call from my mother that says uh, that my uncle had passed. And he said before he passed that he that we should not forget about the YU. And mm-hmm. I saw my mom being so devastated. I thought I have to do something about it. So I started digging And found out that extreme drought and climate change have caused water, clean water, almost to be inaccessible. And the same thing with access to farming, you know, created food insecurity. Um, And what I have found through UNICEF. So because my parents were educators, are educators, actually, um, I thought, why not we start with a little preschool of 30 kids? Because this will guarantee that the kids from zero to six years old, at least 30, will have two meals a day. And that was the beginning. And then after a few years, we had about 7,500 children with different schools that we get, got help. Um, but what we didn't know is that we were getting prepared for what was to come. You know, I'm sure you're aware of the refugee crisis in my country. You know, about seven and a half million people have fled, and that has made that area on the border even more extreme in its needs. Um, And about four years ago, I I received a call from Jose Andres from World Central Kitchen, and he said, Patricia. We have all this food on the Colombian side. If we can, if we get it to you, can you get it to Venezuela? So we then started bringing one ton, two ton, three tons of food, four tons of food. And today, four years later, oh, four thousand kids are getting. It depends the week, but anywhere between four and fourteen thousand kids are getting food every every week, depending of, of how much we receive. But over 71,000 people have received food through these vegetables that come from this organization named Acceso, wow. led by Fran Justra, that is a sustain, sustainable agriculture on the other side. It's, they're in Colombia, in Haiti, in Salvador, now Mexico. And a lot of these farmers are Venezuelan refugees. On the Colombian side. So we pick up these vegetables on the border. By the time they travel to us, 1,200 kilometers. And then they come to us and they go in so many different communities. And that was just with the food. Then we received, uh, through, then we met Anne Lee from CORE. And Anne has become, and just CORE has become really a pillar for Waiutaya. And then introduced us to Center for Disaster Philanthropy. And they give, gave us money to build a well. And now 27,000 people have had f- clean water. Amazing! And then she, and through the CGI community, we also met uh, Direct Relief. And they, ha- they started sending medicine and supplies and over 200,000 people have received all over Venezuela medicine and supplies. And it has been one after the next, after the next. But you know, and this is something I spoke about it just at the session, um, we know that humanitarian aid ends Right, Because yeah. it has something else is yeah. happening in another country. So what is our job now? And this is why CORE has become so uh, such an important part of Wayutaya. We know that we have to become sustainable. We have to turn humanitarian aid into sustainable humanitarian aid. And I have no doubt that we are going to achieve it. Because... For many reasons. Number one, I think we're, the team is ready. It would have not happened a few years sure, ago. The yeah. team has learned to be accountable to operate the community. And number two, because um, because indigenous communities, which is you know the Wayu community, um, we it doesn't matter how many cultures have disappeared, mm. how many wars have past, indigenous communities have always managed to remain. And that is because for generations, we have been taught always, you only take what you need, you share, and you put it back in the land. Just like, you know, just like my, my mom did by teaching her, teaching my grandmother to write and read. And this is, and now we can look back and say, yes, wow, we have helped over a million people. But the real help starts with us, you know, as individuals, because it makes you think, wow, every little action that we take can have a ripple effect Mm. that can affect positive change, just like my uncle did by helping my mom and sending my mom to school.
1: The last seven or eight minutes have been like a masterclass in how to do things right. I, I I mean that. You sort of summed up. There's so many things. We could talk for an hour on what you just mm-hmm. shared. But a couple things that point out is, one, you saw a problem close to home, right? And you you tackled that. I feel like that's a big thing that we need to talk about for a second. Because... At Let's Give a Damn, one of the things, we're trying to help people become fully human and to live ethical, sustainable, absurdly ethical and sustainable lives. Trying to figure out how, like, and really trying to convince people, every single one of you, every single one of you, every single one of you have something to do. Yeah. And the reason that not everybody is acting today, everybody we're gonna pass in the street after we leave here today, the reason most of them aren't doing it is because it feels so big and so, yes. it feels so big. Look, at in Ukraine, mm-hmm. in this, in that. And they get paralyzed mm-hmm. versus something like this, some version of, hey, what's happening in my own backyard? Yes. What, what could I tackle right now? What mm-hmm. could I do right now that will uh, 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 affect the people, places, and things around me? Yes, we should figure out how we can help in Ukraine and all these different places. But there are things happening right now for you, it was the why people. And for anybody listening right now, I hope that something came up that was, I'm not talking, it doesn't have to be huge. Just something yeah. that you're just tackling. You can begin right now because it's so close. You know about these people. You know how they function, how they work, what needs to happen here because it's so part of who you are.
0: Yeah, it's so its so easy to get overwhelmed. You know, just as you say, with, with the news, with social media, it is paralyzing. Um, I find that, You are probably listening to this and thinking, I want to do something, but but I can't. I don't have any money or I, I don't know where to start. Well, I would say if you have a call to really do something, just I guess the first step is what is it that you care about? You might care about the elderly or you might care about... Maybe you are helping. Uh, 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 maybe you're helping someone who's disabled. Maybe you're helping. Uh, I, whatever it is, you might love the the, the animals. You might love. Do you want to save the planet? There, there, are so many different causes. Right. Just find it in your heart. What is it that you care about? And then just start very slowly with step one, which is at a very small scale. You know, I sometimes think think that. I don't know if it's something negative about me, but I don't. When things get too big, I run away. I over, I get overwhelmed. I just, I like, what? No, I, no. What? Well, That's human. No, That's it's human. Too, I, it's too big. But some people have the gift to mm. think big, yeah. you know. And I'm not saying that things cannot turn big. Like when I see what Wayutaya has accomplished so so far. But trust me, I've held. Why you tie very little for many many years? Because I get overwhelmed, and also because I don't know how to do it. Mm. And to actually accept that we don't know how to do it, yes. and have the and be humble enough to say, "I don't know how to how to do how to do it. Can you teach me?" And if you can find the people around you that can help you and can guide you, and I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about people that are wiser than you. And and I, you know, and now now I'm going off on a tangent, but
1: go for it. If
0: you have someone in your life who doesn't inspire you, you don't need to be around that person. Mm. That is key. You want to have a successful and inspiring life. You have to start by surrounding yourself with people that inspire you. If not, be uh, what's the word? Uh, crude. Be harsh. Take them out of your life yeah. if they don't need to be in your life. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, is this is what keeps holding you down. So two things we talked about. Step by step, you don't have to do too much. Find organizations that are already in do work. Or maybe you're just someone that wants to help someone cross the street. That's it. It's going to change your life. It's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you feel that you're worth it. It doesn't have to be too big. And also surround yourself with people that inspire you.
1: Again, two amazing points. On the ladder... Um, I think you said the key thing you said was like, don't have them in your life if you don't have to. Because there are circumstances where there are people in our life, a family member, Mm -hmm. that like, I I can't let them go. You know, I'm helping them or they mean too much to me or whatever. But to your point, oh my God, do we all have multiple people right now that we don't ultimately care about them? Mm -hmm. They don't ultimately care about us and we don't need them in our lives. Well, we keep them around because they're fun. And they bring this when we have a party and they bring that when we have, and they're funny and they like do karaoke, whatever. Whatever the reason you're keeping that toxic person around, yeah, they're not inspiring you to be a better person. And that person is occupying part of your life that could be occupied by someone who is inspiring you. Because we've only got so big of a relational plate, right? There's only so much room on it. And if you want to put inspiring people on, well, you got to shove that person off the plate. You just do. We've got one shot at life. Only one time. Like I get to be here one time. Yeah, Maybe there's an afterlife. I hope so. Whatever it looks like. <laughs> but this life, we've only got no, one shot exactly. at it. Exactly. And t- to your point, for the, the first point that you made, that's really also a key point. This whole thing could be a master class because you, for so many years, were running this foundation, but it wasn't like totally like, you weren't maximizing what it could do, yeah. and you—you you just said like I didn't know what what to do. I, you know, I—I I, I didn't have all these things, and maybe I was holding it back. And then these other, these other people came, not to say stop doing that. You shouldn't be a foundation. You're doing no to come and say we're gonna come alongside you. Core, uh, Jose Andres, like all these Accesso, different people, yeah. acceso. Mm-hmm. That came around you to empower what you were yes. doing. So that's also a great thing. If you have a project and it's not quite working, but you know you want to keep doing it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Fantastic. Don't quit. But find who need who do you need to come in and help you do it? Don't be a don't be, a, don't be an asshole and like reject help. Yes. Like we all need. Because it's ego. Why you needs core. Core needs Wayu. You, you know, all those different connections. Yeah, it is ego. Mm-hmm. It is ego. It's us saying, well, no, my thing should work. The Wayu Taya Foundation should work all on its own. Like, that just no. isn't practical.
0: Yeah, I. It, there is also this belief. I mean, we are by nature, especially in the United States, obviously a very competitive culture. Yes, yes. Uh, and there is this belief among foundations that you have to compete with each other. And I, I think part of CGI, actually, I have to say that is, it, they have achieved this, and the organizations that we are working with, I mean, we are a very small organization in this group that very of very big organizations, um, is... The non-competing. Yes. We're not competing. We are, you know, you do one thing and we do the other thing. How can we push together and we can see that then the the, the ripple effect is ginormous. I mean, we're reaching much more people uh, because we are collaborating. And, and I think this is something that we can also try to apply in our lives because we are so... Genuinely competitive, competitive sometimes that can create friction in relationships of how how far we could go. Um, And one of the things that happens when you surround yourself with people that inspire you is that creating that inspiration becomes an addiction. Yeah. You know, it's addictive. And the more you do and then the more you create and then the more, and it just expands and you, it, it's like a muscle that it stretches, stretches and it has, it, and it's never going to break. It's just going to keep stretching and stretching and that will bring much more abundance in every aspect of your life.
1: Yes, couldn't agree more. Amen. I want to be respectful of your time. I hope we get another chance to talk at some point. I, I know we have a lot to talk about, uh-huh. but for the sake of time today, um, thank you for sharing all of this. And what do you want people to, to do after hearing this conversation? How do you want them to get involved? What do you want them to know? Because one thing I was thinking about as you were talking was, I know about this refugee crisis in South America, Mm -hmm. your people, but like most people- Don't, yeah. No, they have no idea. Yeah, Most people are so geographically challenged. In fact, when I went to Georgia two months ago to speak at a conference, no one, thought that I was talking about a country in Eastern Europe. Even when I said Tbilisi, Georgia, they still thought, oh, Tbilisi is yeah. a town in, in,
0: yeah, in, in Georgia. Georgia
1: here in the <laughs> U.S. So we're so, especially here in the U.S., we are so geographically and historically backward. We just are. Our education system has failed us in so many ways. And so they don't know that what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I want them to, beyond even just like getting involved with the, with the Taya Foundation, giving, partnering, whatever... Um, how can they even find out more about what's happening? Because they need to know that there's not just an, uh, a, a, a refugee crisis at our southern border. There's not just what's happening in Ukraine, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Right in, right there, these people that you didn't even know existed, the YU yeah. people and all like there's a crisis there, and they need help.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, Venezuela has the biggest refugee crisis in the Western Hemisphere. Mm. With you know, seven and a half people, a million people have left uh, the country, and I'm sure wow. it doesn't matter what part of the United States you're in, you have seen Venezuelans in your in your in your town now. Immigrants. It has become a very very big part of, of the of the refugees in the United States. Uh, a lot of them go through the Darien Jungle. Uh, which is, you know, between Colombia and Panama, and hundreds of thousands are coming through this dang- jungle that is the most dangerous jungle in the world. Mm. And hundreds of thousands are dying on the way. It is uh, it is, a, a, an extreme situation what, what is happening. And I believe that even though it wasn't the original intention of the Wayutaya Foundation, what we are trying to do, I mean, think about it. We started this foundation in New York, in the United States, And we grew, but there are people here in New York and other parts of the country that are helping these people they might never meet because, as you say, we're not aware of what's happening. But I believe that, yes, maybe, as you say, the education system maybe has failed us. I'm not sure because I didn't go to school here, but what I can tell you is Maybe there is a lack of, of us knowing what's really happening with this refugee crisis in our country. But what we do have in the United States is a group of citizens that really care. You do yes, have a system. percent. There is no other country in the world where people care as much as the United States. And I tell you this 100% with our experience. People do care here. We do grow up in the United States thinking, how can I help? How can, and a part of it is, yeah, maybe we have a lot of things that don't work, but but you grow up in the system of, if I'm going to give a donation to somebody, I know that it's going to get there, at least part of it will sure. get where it has yeah. to go. Yep. So the, this culture that exists in the United States it's incredible. It doesn't happen anywhere else, and it's the reason why hundreds of thousands of people, over a million people in my foundation, have been helped, and it's all because of the United States. So, so what I would say is, okay, yeah, let's try and see what is and see and pay a little more attention with what's happening out there. I also understand that it might be challenging because we are going through some problems here in the U.S., but by helping Wayutaya. We are helping the people. I mean, everybody has the right to move freely. It's a human right. And to move to a place where they might have better conditions or better life conditions. Venezuelans are not people that want to leave their country. We want to stay in our country. And by helping organizations like mine, doesn't have to be mine, like mine, that are empowering people there, we are allowing these people to have, like now even the orchestra system. So people would not want to leave their land which is not something they want to do. And, and this, hap- this can happen by helping organizations like ours and making those people be able to develop themselves and have some basic needs covers, covered because it is, at the end of the day, a human right.
1: Amazing. What's the website? Just want to be clear.
0: So w-a-y-u-u-t-a-y-a.org.
1: Dot org. W-a-y-u-t-a-y-a.org. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been inspiring for me. And I know those that are listening will be equally inspired and will get moving as a result of this. So I really appreciate it.
0: No, thank you for giving us the opportunity. And thank you for listening. Um, I hope you tune in for the next show.
1: Friends, thank you so much for showing up and for spending time with Sofia, Patricia, and me today. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and please show up next week. We have many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins-Harn, and the incredible team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at at HelloAtLet'sGiveADam.com. Keep giving a damn. I love you all. Bye for now.